Welcome to First Touch. I am Tyler Brook, joined alongside Nate Canan. Uh, Nate, good to hear from you. How are you, man? Hey, buddy. Miss you. Hope everything's going all right uh, with you. I know uh, you probably had some fun Fourth of July celebrations. I'm dying of a terrible sunburn right now, man. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I uh, spent the majority of my fourth outside, which was great, trying to stay a safe uh, social distancing respect. Um, still up here in Chicago, but was able to, you know, take a nice book, go out by the lake, just kind of relax and chill a bit. Played a little bit of tennis, but I just completely wrecked my back <laughs> when it comes to this sun. I think that's the one thing I've really enjoyed about being back in Indiana, especially out in the, you know, essentially the farmlands, <laughs> being able to be outside whenever I can. Ended up going to a grill out, you know, staying away from everyone else, watching some fireworks on a pond. My buddy's neighbors all shipped in like 1200 bucks and had... Just an insane amount of fireworks going out over this pond. If you want to talk about country, uh, that's about as country as you can get. Pretty stereotypical American 4th of July, uh, but it was great. Yeah. Loved every minute of it. I uh, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, as you know, and we used to do things like that too, where we would you know go up to like different parts of like the mountains and the woods and stuff and shoot off fireworks. But it was a little weird being um, in Chicago because I'm so used to having those massive fireworks displays like outside of Navy Pier to always yeah. look forward to, and that didn't really happen, which you know is very understandable trying to keep people you know safe and inside. But the weather was just so nice; it's it's hard to blame people for going outside. But walking through parts of the street when like I normally thought it'd be kind of packed is a little bit surreal. Yeah, that's still weird. I'm just glad that there were some 4th of July traditions that kept going on. Most notably, you know, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. I had never actually watched it before uh, fully until yet. How do you not know anything about Joey Chestnut? He's oh, a, I he's know a American legend. Of course I know Joey. That's a true American hero right there. It's just I've never actually sat down and watched it until yesterday. And that might be because I actually, I, I might have bet on it. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it was an absolute rush. I essentially bet that whoever won, which was obviously going to be Joey Chestnut, would eat more than 73 hot dogs. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> Just saying it out loud. I get it. But, oh, my God. Like, you it doesn't sound about? weird, but whenever you say it like whenever you read it it's just like oh hot dog eating contest 73 hot dogs like yeah that makes sense but whenever you have to actually say that out loud and listen to another human being tell you that someone is going to consume 73 hot dogs 10 minutes is these contests it like is it like a 10 minute clock timer as in like it's a 10 minute countdown how many can you eat in 10 Dude, minutes or like a 10 minute clock starts and they just start shoving hot dogs down their faces for 10 straight minutes so essentially Five minutes in, he's got 45 hot dogs down. And I think he hit the 73rd hot dog with like 15 seconds left and then got the 74th with like seven and then hit a 75th at the buzzer. And I'll be honest, I don't know if the 75th was supposed to count. I don't know if it should have officially counted, but it was clearly a PR stunt. I would say the hot dog eating contest isn't the most ethical thing as far as rules go but they essentially said he broke the record uh, but anyway you want to talk about an electric 10 minutes of just hoping your bet hits uh, that was a roller coaster <laughs> i don't know man I, I mean aside from the the gambling itself i still it's it's a it's just a weird weird spectacle for me i'm not a huge all you can eat or like eating challenge guy i do enjoy a like say you go somewhere that has like we have the hottest like food or the hottest yeah. wings like can you can you survive that I appreciate that challenge more than just the 
how much can you like eat? And then you just watch people start to have the meat sweats live in front of your face. And then I start to get a little grossed out. That's just so bizarre. Like, I, cause I just think about so much, like we only understand and appreciate that 10 minutes that we watch and we are obviously gazing at the spectacle of it. But I'm just curious of what they do up to that. Like how much are they eating? How do they prepare that? Because that's like massive endurance you got to have. And then what's the, what's the next couple of days like for you? Are you eating at all? Are you just trying to like survive off of this like hot dog food baby that you just had? I'd be laying down sweating. I think this is now a hot dog eating contest podcast uh, to go along with the cornhole. Uh, speaking of which, I did play some cornhole on the fourth, you know, just to keep the brand. Oh, true, true style. Gotta just keep the brand like alive. Timothy Pitcher. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, we should probably talk about soccer today. Uh, we do have a great show lined up for you guys. Um, Jamie Webster is joining us today. You guys may remember him for popularizing a lot of Liverpool's chants. If you are a Liverpool fan, uh, if you're not listening anyway, uh, he's got a great story. Uh, it's kind of awesome seeing his journey from just a guy playing at some local pubs to getting to meet Jurgen Klopp. And in fact, Jurgen Klopp being out in town asking Jamie Webster to come out. A lot of good stories there up ahead. We'll talk a little bit about some new kits being released, a couple more transfer rumors that are pretty interesting. First, you know, even though it was 4th of July weekend, watched a lot of soccer across the pond. Unfortunately, Nate, both of the games we watched for our teams uh, could not have gone worse. Yeah, definitely stay around for Jamie's interview. It's a great story to hear. And we will be getting more into the culture of music and chanting within sports uh, before that interview as well, just to make sure that we kind of touch base. We're talking about a little bit of uh, you know our culture and our traditions here. Obviously, we want to be able to tie things together with that. But from all these different matches that went on, it was a pretty disappointing week for both of us. Um, I don't know what's more embarrassing, just the utter defeat that Liverpool had, not being able to score a single goal after being crowned champions of the Premier League or just seeing the hissy fit that Jose Mourinho had about the VAR call after uh, the Tottenham match. Yeah, man, that Liverpool one was rough. I'll be honest, I ended up not being able to finish it. It it, it hurt to watch. Um, I gotta say, cool. I was a little concerned whenever that game was going on because... Um, obviously we're not, uh, in the same vicinity to watch these games. So we have like a, you know, a texting thread that we're on with a couple of other, uh, friends that watch soccer. And, uh, after a certain time, you just disappeared from the chat and I was messaging our friend. I was like, I think somebody needs to check on Tyler because I don't think he's ever witnessed a Liverpool defeat like this ever before. No, dude, I watched Watford kick our ass just like a few months ago, which is pretty crazy. Um, Excuse me. Have you ever seen Liverpool go down four goals without being able to score at least one? The other team keeping a clean sheet on you? No. That's what... Hey, welcome to what being a real soccer fan is, my friend. I told you, and you know, I give you shit for it. Like, I know you're a real... You're not a bandwagon Liverpool fan, but being within this fandom for the last five years, it's a little different from the last you know, 10 plus wherever that used to be a common thing within Liverpool. And that's only a testament to how impressive it is that they're now champions after having Klopp for only the short amount of time that he's been around to be able to turn that club around. So, you know, kudos to him, but Hey buddy, you know, this is a real thing that happens, man. This is such a true thing, especially me being a Tottenham fan. I've seen games go like that time more times than I'd like to admit, to be honest. Yeah. All on up to that, you know, I've only been, committed to a team for four or five years at this point. So it, it wasn't great, man. It was cool seeing the guard of honor, uh, getting to experience that, even though there were no fans and it was socially distanced, still a pretty cool moment. 
City just since Project Restart, uh, even despite that loss to Chelsea, a couple of mental lapses there, they've just looked so sharp. Uh, Phil Foden has been playing lights out. That team's obviously going to be scary, granted that a lot of people stay next year. The top of the table next season is getting really interesting. Feels like Liverpool's not as sharp as it was. Uh, definitely bounced back against Aston Villa on Sunday. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter. They're, they're Premier League champions. I'm thrilled about that. Hopefully it can break a couple more records at the end of the season. But, Nate, what what the hell happened to Tottenham? Yeah, there's not really much to say other than it was just another walk in White Hart Lane, meaning they just are always a team that just seems like they have all of their shit together other than just missing one crucial piece. And there was a lot of good momentum. There was a lot of good possessions that were happening. It'd just be like someone would have a couple of good passes only to have the last pass that need to be perfect just completely collapse and fall through. And with that being said, the defense was nowhere to be seen for the majority of the game. Hugo was not really on the top of his game either in net, but I think he did the best that he could. I think the back line is something that Tottenham's going to have to figure out. It's been something that they've been struggling with this entire season. And I think one of the reasons why Jose came to become the new manager, considering that he's been famous for the park the bus defense strategy over the past couple of seasons up in Manchester. Unfortunately, it's not really resonating here now. And it's also frustrating to hear that, you know, aside from the last game, he was going on the longest streak without having a win as a manager. It's like only a Tottenham could that happen to Jose Mourinho. Um, anyway, though, you know, you would think momentum was starting to come back on Tottenham after they conceded the first goal within about a minute and a half after that Good attacking presence. Lucas Moore driving the ball up through the midfield. Had about three people pressing him, which resulted in him falling to the ground, losing possession of the ball. Midfielder, I believe, from Sheffield to come and then kick the ball, which hit off Lucas, which then went into the feet of Harry Kane. Harry Kane did a dance around the box, cut a man to his side, and then ended up scoring a goal. And then VAR takes a step in, sees that Lucas falls to the ground and the ball hits his hand. And according to the rules, you can't have a handball result in an action that leads to a goal. And I, I get it. it. Rules are rules and you have to follow them, especially in tricky situations with the handballs. But it is a little frustrating to watch because at what point does the art of the game mixed with the science of what we can see with the refereeing. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't be feeling this way if I wasn't a Tottenham fan, but I do think a couple of things were at play there. Um, the only reason why a foul, I think, wasn't called was because the referee was giving advantage to Tottenham. So the advantage was given, we took that advantage, scored and capitalized on it. However, it was only to be reversed by the VAR call because it's really hard to control yourself whenever you're being tumbled to the ground. And it's not like he reached his hand out or like tried to swat the ball away with his hand. And again, after, I think it's actually kind of inexcusable of what the Sheffield player did to then like boot that ball off Lucas's body. And with it, I don't think we would have the same kind of handball motion if it wasn't for that as well too. During the game, Jose really freaked out and was threatened to be moved into the stands, which I thought was pretty hilarious. Yeah, what did they like, do? Yeah, even if they remove him from the sidelines, it's an empty stadium. He can be in the stands just screaming things still, which would have been a pretty funny sight to see. Just seeing and him in know, like the third row just still screaming. 
Yep. And we know uh, Jose has had his troubles in the past with referees. Like he's been removed before. He's even had, I believe it was back in the early 2010s, he was removed for about five games. He wasn't allowed to manage Chelsea's side for some toughs that he got into with the officials. Um, so I, I think he was trying to like keep a level head to not have that happen again because after the game, he was talking about how there is no refereeing on the field anymore. He was like, well, you mean there's no refereeing? There is only people in a box somewhere in London that is dictating what's going on in the match. And I, I kind of start to agree with him a little bit. And I get that like he probably was just kind of keeping his cool. He did call out by name some of the refer one of the referees on the pitch. But I, I don't know, Tyler. It's like, what do we do to fix this problem? Or is it even a problem? I, I personally think it's going to start going into a direction that we don't like it. And if they don't make some changes to certain rules, especially with handballs, that's a different conversation. They are thinking about removing certain stipulations with a handball rule. But I, I think like even the case of the VAR and certain correcting technologies that we need to start being more laxed of the rulings because let's just take the first game back from project restart right there was a clear goal that happened where a ball crossed the line and because a sensor didn't go off that's no goal and the game ended in zero zero so where do we go to discredit what our own eyes are witnessing versus what the technology is telling us it's just like a weird almost catch-22 in some cases it's it seems yeah I think the NBA does this right, and I think this is what the Premier League's trying to do, is having that off-site review team in an office. I think the problem with the Premier League is, A, you know, sometimes technology can fail, you know, with what you talked about in that Sheffield Villa game and beginning a project restart. But at the same time, it's just a fundamentally different game, and like you said earlier, you know, there is an art to it, it's always moving, and when in the, I guess in the flow of the game in that Tottenham handball you know everything about that should have been a goal yeah he got fouled he fell the ball happened to hit his shoulder and deflected right in, at harry kane who then scored it's very difficult for them because this is so new uh, especially in the premier league is var you know it's going to be there's going to be growing pains i hope in the future that they will correct this uh, but for now, we're going to have to crown VAR uh, Trash of the Week. Yeah, I just got to give the Trash of the Week to just VAR in general since Project Restart began. Yeah. Um, I, I get that like it serves a purpose, and I think offsides is definitely a little bit more black and white in these scenarios, but when someone is falling to the ground like they are, there's only so much room and leeway they can give. It's it, This should have been a goal in my opinion. And feel free to disagree with me. I love to hear some of the FTFC members out there if you have a different opinion on this or if you agree with us that VAR does need a little bit of a, how they mediate it, a bit of a tweaking system. So with that being said, uh, let's talk about something that's a bit more fun. Uh, something that I enjoy and miss is going up to the Atlantic. I mentioned it before and you know, singing some songs about Harry Kane scoring goals, being one of our own, or how Deli Alley is a better all-around value than Ozil on Arsenal. Um, and I know chants are something, and, and music is something that's also really big for you, Tyler. We're both musical people. Um, you, you have a background of playing guitar. I play some string instruments as well. Uh, we're not essentially like musicians, but we definitely have a love and a passion for music. And I think that's one big reason why it's a great, inclusive, drawing environment for both of us. 
like I've said before, I think one of the things I started getting into soccer a little bit um, back in the World Cup in Brazil. Uh, and then as I found a team up in Chicago, one of the things that really drew me to keep going back to AJ Hudson's was all the chants and learning them. Uh, it's it's that feeling of camaraderie at the same time of just like joy. Learning these songs, like my favorite still about Bobby Ferrinimino, you know, Si Senor, pass the ball to Bobby and he will score. There's just, there's just so many good ones and there's nothing like a packed bar full of drunk people at 7 a.m. you know, screaming uh, about these players and coaches and, you know, past legends. Uh, it just, I think it adds so much to the culture and history of teams uh, and it helps, you know, the casual fans learn more about their squads. I think it really helps out through and through this entire sport from a player level to a individual fan level. Because I, I always try to think about the perspective of a player. For example, I mentioned already the Deli Alley chant. One big part of it is he's better than Ozil. He only costs four mil. We have Deli Alley, which I think has to be a little bit of a funny thing for a player to hear. It's like, wow, like, am I that cheap? So, like, am I underpaid? <laughs> Am I underpaid, but I am better than someone who is a legend on this other team? I mean, personally, in my opinion, yes. But anyway, I, I think that has to be like motivating for them to hear like, yes, I'm like on my A game, I'm on fire because I have a very similar experience back to whenever I was playing back in high school. We would go down to West Virginia every summer to play at this, um, uh, essentially the soccer camp where clubs from the majority of like the northeastern side of the country would come through and we would do tournament styles and we'd also get like new coaches to come in and we had one coach who was my favorite i wish i could remember his name maybe i'll have to reach out to my high school coach and just be like hey do you remember who who taught us this one year but he was actually he used to play professionally in canada and I can't remember where his fandoms lay, but man, did this guy hate Fernando Torres at the time. <laughs> and he and he would just talk trash about Fernando Torres uh, constantly. And he taught all of us, like, you know, back when we were 14, 15 years old, this chant that, and I think it was actually back when he was playing for Liverpool because he was the number nine for Liverpool. And one yep. of the chants was Fernando Torres, Liverpool number nine. And that was just something that stuck with us after that. We'd sing it at our own practices back home. We would sing it on the bus and I remember we had this one playoff game and it was so cold. It was like right near the end of the season where in Pennsylvania, it gets cold pretty early and the rain was starting to come down. So it was like that sleet was happening. And I think we were down zero to one coming into halftime. So we're inside trying to warm up. I remember have like my hand warmers, like, and we're all just kind of like in the, in the locker room and we're all just trying to like, you know, our coach has given us a pep talk and he wasn't there for our learning of this chant, but he knew we liked it. And like somebody just like mentioned it and we started singing it. And like it literally turned our entire momentum around to where we came back and we ended up winning. I believe it was like two to one that game because we left that locker room smiling and singing and we were having fun again versus like being completely pissed off what was going on. And it changed our mood. And I remember at our banquet that year at the end of the season, like that was a moment that like our coach talked about. And like, I, it's a moment that I bet I could call any of those guys up that they'll never, never forget. And that's just something like, I don't know if other sports have is these kind of like chants. I don't necessarily know where they originated from, but it just kind of makes me think about like how um you know you would be because soccer is a bit of a working man's game how it began like people would go out to the pubs listen to the scores probably sing these songs in celebration and it continues from there which i think is just a little bit different to what the like american type like sports are with like yeah. songs like 
you know, like you have, for example, the Chicago Bulls have a tunnel song, right? Uh, until you brought that up to me, uh, we can play a clip of it later. It's a pretty iconic clip uh, of, a, of a jingle of a song. I think it loses a little bit of its identity because it's just like that 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 tone where I just associate it with all sports in general, not necessarily the Chicago Bulls. I think the thing that's so much different about U.S. sports is there's technically chance but they're literally the exact same chant for every team, you know, like let's go sports team, clap, 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 clap. The one that's even like semi unique, but still so many other teams adopt it is the, you know, the war chant that the Kansas city chiefs or the Florida state Seminoles, uh, they will yell that, but yeah, there's so, I don't even think I can name one other than go pack, go at a pack. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think like it, like in hockey, it's you have one of two chant variants. It's either, for example, like "Let's go Pens" or "Go Canes Go." Yep. So that's the that's the difference. It's either like are we a Let's Go team or are we a Go Team Go team? And you know, like some teams will have like unique goal songs. Like the Chicago Blackhawks has the Chelsea Dagger as a song. I know the Pittsburgh Penguins used to have uh, Andrew WK's "Let's Get a Party Going." I like that. One. I, I like that a I, lot. <laughs> Yeah, that was always an electric time whenever uh, that song would come on. But not every team has that, and they do you know, filter them out time to time. And I do enjoy that part of the fandom, but it's just so unorganic. It's like I know um, after Mac Miller passed away, they were trying to get Party on Fifth Avenue to become the Penguins' new song because the console – no, it's a PPG Paints Arena is now on Fifth Avenue, which I think would be a good yeah, um, like combination. But at the same time, it's just not as magical as you know these moments. Like You probably experienced that yourself whenever you were uh, in Liverpool watching a game. Yeah, it's just – it's so much different you know, hearing chants that are unique to your team versus the same generic stuff at an American sporting event. And I think that adds even more to the energy and the atmosphere because like I've told you before, you know, my experience at that champions league match is unlike any sporting event I've ever been to. And I've been to dozens and dozens of American sporting events. Yeah. And I think another thing to talk about as well is since these are unique songs about individual players individual sports teams moments in history it's kind of unprecedented to just our own music culture i know in really popular in the rap and hip-hop scenes you'll have a lot of references to basketball players i can tell you the number of times i've heard a reference to steph curry or lebron james because they're some of the goats of basketball and you do hear the occasional baseball reference or football reference as well too but i don't think you get a lot of people actually creating original content about like for example, the Kansas City Chiefs, or like even if there is a Kansas City song or a Packers song, it's not going to be that song that you kind of turn on before you know yeah. you're, you're going out for a pregame or something that you're going to cruise down the street listening to. Whereas I do think that you know obviously there's a place and time for those chants, but there's um, especially in in the UK there's one example that I really love listening to. There's a Tiago Silva song by this. Uh, very popular UK artist by the name of Dave. And maybe some of you guys have seen this. I highly recommend checking this out. We'll link it in our social media. But there was a clip from 
uh, Glastonbury, one of the most popular music festivals in the United Kingdom. Um, last year in 2019, he pulled this random 15-year-old kid in the mass of thousands of people a crowd who's wearing a Tiago Silva jersey who plays for PSG. And it's just a, a rap about the finesse and skill of being like a good footballer. And it's like, you know, like one of those like hard and heavy songs about like that aggro energy. And I, I love it. And just like seeing like what happened with that clip, that's kind of what brought to my attention is the viral nature of just like, oh, this kid coming up and just completely killing this rap. But I don't think you would really have the same kind of equivalence like ever really happening in America if a, a very popular rap artist or just a musician in general. Like it, it would strike me so confusing if I were to turn on like Garth Brooks and hear Garth Brooks sing a country song about, you know, give me a baseball player, for example. I don't know. Mike I just Trout. don't see that happening. Mike Trout yeah, is the most like, popular player in baseball, but you're not going to hear any songs about Mike Trout. Yeah, like maybe about like I, – I could see the parallel of about fishing maybe, but I don't know. I, the only song like this I can think of off the top of my head is Mo Bamba by Sheck West. And no one sings really, that though? when they're going to an Orlando Magic game. It's like, all right, we're here to see Mo Bamba. That song's not even really about Mo Bamba. It just mentions that he exists. Uh, I will say side note though, Sheck West does have an excellent song about Liverpool wing Sadio Mane. It's not that good, but you know I gotta support that song. <laughs> totally, no, I, I think that's fair and valid. Like that, the just we don't really have that same kind of sports is part of the American culture, so ingrained. And I think like through a couple of these interviews that we've had so far on this podcast, we've really started to see a bit of a parallel of like, hey, like there's a, it's a little bit easier to travel in America and go to all these different places sometimes, or it's more difficult in certain areas depending upon that. And maybe it's just because we're so far and spread out. It's not necessarily like as ingrained, like people aren't going to flock to Mike Trout in Florida the same way they might be uh, in New York or something along those lines. But I, I don't know. It's just like I don't really understand why that translation hasn't really happened. It's it's, it's just like a thought, but I don't really know if there's a, a perfect bow to tie on top of this. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a perfect way to put a bow on this, but fortunately, you know, we have someone that can bring some perspective from across the pond uh, in Jamie Webster, a born and raised scouser at Liverpool, uh, who's popular, has a lot of chance that made their way over to the States. Uh, here's our interview with Jamie. All right. Joining us today is a man who needs no introduction for fans of Liverpool. Uh, for those who aren't, we're joined by Jamie Webster, a born and raised Scouser who's become integral to Liverpool fandom through his music and renditions of some of the club's most iconic chants. His debut album, We Get By, is dropping August 21st. You can also listen to the Voss EP on all major streaming platforms. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. First off, you know, what's the celebration been like with Liverpool winning the league? In Liverpool, it's been absolute pandemonium. Um, <laughs> I think, I think we've, we've, People have been waiting for so long for, for this title, this this 30 years for this league title. And I think the circumstances which we all face at the moment with like a semi-sort of lockdown and, you know, obviously everything that's going on in the world. You know, I sympathise with Liverpool fans who went out there and celebrated in, in the city because I think it's hard not to. I mean, me personally, I didn't get in the mix with all the crowds, but I did drive down in my car around the back streets of Anfield and just sort of from afar watched the fireworks and the, and listened to the fans all together singing and even though technically we shouldn't have been there I'm not going to lie it brought a tear to me I you know it was about midnight and you know there was thousands and thousands of wi- women men and kids on the streets and 
just to sing, just to hear the Liverpool song sung by a crowd again. I mean, after so long, it was a life that I'll never forget. Um, just sort of, I was on BT Sports and judge my girlfriend and, and sort of her family, who were all Liverpool fans as well, they were in the other room and it's just sort of that room behind me there. Um, so <laughs> wow. I was watching, I was watching it like here. And they were in, and so as it was all going on, I could see them celebrating, and <laughs> and I could hear, I could hear, I could see people running out the window, yeah, you know, like into the streets, <laughs> and people just started, like it was just amazing, just watching it all unfold, and then obviously once I got off the the phone and seeing all the texts come through from me friends and family, I spoke to my dad, and it was just, it was just an amazing feeling, yeah, like I say, oh, dare to say, a weekend in paradise for a lot of people. Absolutely. I, I can imagine, especially like with your career, you've gone from playing smaller gigs and now performing over in front of 50,000 people in Madrid. Like what, what's been like, especially with, I can imagine the energy has been gone for you because you haven't been able to play in front of people for a couple of months now. Was that just like it all coming back together for you? Yeah. I mean, it did. It slowly since the football started to return, uh, but basically go back to the start of the lockdown, you know, I'd sort of, I'd been working flat out leading up to it, into the, the because we, we it was inevitable that a lockdown was going to come. So I had sort of obviously the boss album to finish. I also had part of my own album to finish. It was quite a hectic month, and literally, the lockdown started and everything just stopped. Nobody yep. knew, nobody knew what was going. Nobody really knew how to deal with the lockdown, especially from my management side of things and. You know, I think all entertainers in in general, like we we were in the dark for a, for a large period of the lockdown, and you know, I kept myself upbeat, but it got to a time where I was really like sort of thinking, oh, I need this to end, I need this to end, and thankfully, the return of the football, my phone started ringing again, started doing bits more interaction with fans online, and started doing live stream gigs, but when I knew that. You know, I had twenty, thirty thousand people watching online. It sort of gave me that feeling back that you know people were were together, even though we weren't actually in the same room. That yeah, it started to give me that feeling back, and and definitely like this weekend's just like it's made me feel a lot better about the whole the whole thing. You know, what has this journey been like? Like you say, you know, you started doing these smaller gigs, and now you know going to play in Madrid, like. Uh, the scale of everything must be so much different. Like, how does it feel knowing that you've come such a long way? To be honest, it's not something that me, I, I don't personally, like, I don't think about, I never really think to myself, wow, look how far I've come. And I great sort of thing. I know that's not what you're insinuating, but when, <laughs> when, I, when I do something, I'm just looking to the next thing. Don't get me wrong, when, when you talk about Madrid, that's an experience on its own, 60,000 people on a stage like that. But once I finished it, I was like, I just want to do it again. It's been a mad, mad 18 months. And I think the fact that it's all happened so quickly, or mad two years, shall we say, a drastic turn, really, in compared to how it was years before. Um, isn't it amazing? I mean, it is. It's amazing what's happened to me. I'm, mm. I'm living living a dream. You know, I, I, I think I'm one of the luckiest, luckiest people in the world to be doing what I'm doing um, on a day-to-day basis. And, making music and, and being involved with Liverpool Football Club through music as well. It's just like, it's the next best thing could be putting me up front. You know what I mean? Next to Bobby Firmino. That's the, <laughs> the next. Score a couple of goals. That, that, that would list. Yeah, yeah. That scored a couple of goals in, in a Champions League final. I think that's the only way I could top what I've already done. So 
<laughs> but for me, it's it's more about the next steps. I always think about the next steps. I never want to rest on what I've done. I suppose it's like the attitude of Liverpool FC as a team. I sort of adopt the same attitude. It's 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 great what I've done, and I'm so happy that I've and that I've done it. And thankful to everybody who's at any gig, big or small, along the way to make it. You know, to make those experiences and to shape me to mm. into the person that I am today. Like I've had an unbelievable ride over the past few years and every single moment of it, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, from every gig I've done in America to every gig I've done in Ireland to, you know, go to going to Qatar and Australia and obviously Madrid and all the gigs I've done in Liverpool as well, all the boss nights for the kids, everything, it's just been an unbelievable ride. And I wouldn't be anywhere where I am without the fans that I've done it with and I'm so thankful for that. Also, I've been able to release my own music. There's, there's so much more to, to, to like being a full-time musician. It's, uh, you know, even now, the, the album, I'm, I'm in, in the middle of an album campaign. There's, there's meetings every day. There's, there's new strategies. There's new ways of trying to, to push that and, and, you know, have better me numbers and, and, you know, get myself up there with, with, with the elite. And uh, don't be wrong, I'm not up there yet, but, you know, that's what I'm striving for. And even to, like writing down all your lyrics. I write my lyrics on a like a, a scrappy envelope that I've opened or something like that. And once I've learned the lyrics and I've played it a couple of times, I'll never see them lyrics again, probably. <laughs> I've just got them in my head. I'm always thinking about what I can do next is, is probably what I'm trying to say to both of you. I'm sure there'll be plenty more trophies that Liverpool will win. So, you know, I'm sure that there'll be plenty more days. Absolutely. Like, like we've had over the weekend. Definitely. Uh, it's been quite a year of holding up some trophies. Do you want to touch on at least one more experience you've got, had in the past before, you know, we look forward, talk a little bit about chance, but a couple of years back when you were in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, you actually got surprised during a performance by uh, the man himself, Jurgen Klopp. Um, what was that experience like for you? And then what is your relationship with the club itself kind of yeah, turned yeah. into? Yeah, that first and foremost, Jurgen's an unbelievable, unbelievable guy. He's just like, He's the most, most down-to-earth person you'll ever meet. We, we are all so lucky to have a man like that in charge of this Absolutely. football club. Um, but, yeah, so to see him in the flesh for the first... for the first, Obviously, I've seen him in the airport flying over and stuff and travelling, but never really, like, huh. engaged with him. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's quite a... Like, I was sort of sat at the very back of the plane, and he was obviously at the very front of the plane when we were flying over the first time. And... Um, well, he was he, he was open and warm to absolutely every everybody. I personally never come into close quarters with him because because I was sort of representing the club abroad officially for the first time. I didn't want to overstep any boundaries, and I just wanted to you know if anybody wants to come and speak to me, then I'm going to speak to them then. But until then, I'm I'm just going to be the quiet guy in the background and just do my thing on the stage and make sure I do my job properly. And uh, so for him to come down to me gig was it was an unbelievable surprise. It was the last person I expected to see because yeah. being on the inside, I know what their schedules are like when they're on pre-season tours. And let me tell you, there's not much downtime yeah. whatsoever mm-hmm. except when you're going to sleep. Um, and so the fact that he took the time, even albeit five, ten minutes to come down and see me play and he'd actually inquired into who I was and what I was doing he liked the idea of it, so he come down to see for himself. It was unbelievable. Um, it, it, the relationship with the clubs just got stronger and stronger. Um, I was so like at first, it was I was so surprised that Liverpool got in touch to do the the gig at Shevchenko Park in Kiev before the, the 2018 Champions League final. Um, you know, I was touched that like I was sort of representing the club at that moment in time. 
when I was I was actually on holiday with my girlfriend and I got the phone call to say that, you know, Liverpool wanted to take me on a pre-season tour with them. It's just, I think it's just as good as someone's maybe getting told that, you know, Liverpool want to sign you or something like that. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. like that moment I've dreamt of as a kid, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it was amazing to, like the whole experience was amazing and I've made some unbelievable friends at Liverpool Football Club, like people who work there, they never ever make me feel uncomfortable. They never ever pressurise me into doing anything I don't want to do, you know, for the sake of, a sponsor or for the sake of you know a, a, you know a corpse or you know some high flying fan or anything like that or, or it's always about being authentic to what to what I do and when I went back there it was like 10 times better like the, the fans knew me more you know I was more of a presence in 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 the US yeah I mean I was I was actually there for that show and you got to see my home state which I know Indiana is not the most exciting place in the world um but it was really cool it was a really cool experience well, do you know what? Like, we spent the most time out of everywhere on that tour in Notre Dame. Is that yep. how you say it? Yeah. Yeah. On that campus was unbelievable. Uh, I actually had a great time. That was where I had the most downtime out of the whole tour. So I actually got to go into the city. I was so, so surprised because the year before, when I played my first gig in Charlotte, it was a special occasion because it was my first gig on US soil. But... Not everybody there knew who I was. Not everybody mm -hmm. there knew like what Jamie Webster was. Not everybody knew what a boss night was. So I sort of had to win them over. Obviously, there was a there was a there were people who knew me, and and that that gave me the confidence to get up on the stage and and be myself. But I knew that I had to win the crowd over that night. But that first gig in in South Bend, Indiana, in the like the Students Union sort of bar, wherever it was, with the the legends on stage. The the reception that I got, they announced they announced all the legends. They announced the European Cup, and then they announced me, and I and my name got the biggest cheer out of everybody. Yeah. Like I Ian Rush back. is up there, right? Like Ian Rush is yeah. up there, and then people are losing their minds over Jamie Webster. That's so cool. It, yeah, and that was like the first time I was like, wow, like because I was actually quite awkward because I was in the green room at the side of the stage with all the legends <laughs> me and us. I, they all sort of looked at me they didn't they just sort of like they smiled and said oh that's good isn't it and so but I think I gained a little bit of respect that night as well amongst the legends for that so you know so it set me in good stead so I've only got all of that, the fans in who were there in Indiana that, that night to, to, to thank for that because it's never bad is it to, to make friends with Ian Rush even more so I've loved my experiences in America, but the best experience I had in America was with Jürgen Klopp on the second US tour, the last night of the tour. I just finished in Caracas Bar and I got a phone call from Ricky, who's the, the, the head camera guy for LFC. And Ricky phoned me up and he'd been trying to get me out to have a drink with him the whole week. Ricky's a, a scouser like myself and trying to be as professional as possible <laughs> and not drinking in between my gigs. You know, it damages your throat and stuff like that. And I wanted all the fans to get the ultimate experience and I wanted to look as good as I could do in front of the club. So the last night he knew I'd finished my gig and he'd said, come on, come out. And I was just wiped out and I was ready for bed because we were travelling home the next night and we had to get... Anyway, he phoned me and said, you need to come to this bar. And I said, Ricky, you know, I'm not coming to a bar. I'm going home to bed and I'm, I'm wiped out. And he said, no, you need to. I can't tell you why, but you need to come. And I said, you're going to have to tell me why because if you don't tell me why, I'm not coming. And he said, all right, um, they were all having a drink in a bar around the corner from the hotel. And, you know, they wanted a few of the camera lads to turn up. And when the camera crew turned up, the first thing that Jürgen said was, where's Jamie Webster? Get Jamie down here now. I want to see Jamie. So, obviously, I didn't believe him. I said, I'm not having it. And he said, oh, 
right there at a minute and he said Jürgen he doesn't believe me he doesn't believe me and then I had to tell him to come down here now <laughs> so I was like alright it's true so like I literally regardless of how tired I was I was awake then and, um, oh yeah I got myself I got myself down to the bar and there was Jürgen and Pep Linders waiting for me with the Bud Lights and I walked in and he sort of gave me a little clap and I was amazed at, at that because it should have been the other way around and uh, great night with him you know we, we had a, we had a, a, a unbelievable chat surreal moments he said something to me about uh, the Madrid game and oh, I'll never forget it because uh, he said third day after he won the European Cup he sat on the couch with his family and with a big bowl of spaghetti and they watched on YouTube all the clips of what happened in the fan park and everything that surrounded the Madrid weekend everything that was online he said he spent the full day looking at what the fans were doing and he said he watched my videos time after time after time after time. And he asked me a question. He said, uh, at the end of the show, when you played the Lay Lay Lay, he said, did you cry? Were you crying when, when, when you were walking? You know, because it looked like you were about to cry. And uh, I, I was crying, by the way, uh, when I finished the, the, the set and stuff like that. I walked, that was uncontrollably. And I didn't know whether to lie to him and look cool or just be honest. So I was like can't lie to him it's just impossible you just think no I'm going to have to tell so I just said yeah yeah I, you know I did the crowd walked off to the side of the stage and I found my girlfriend there and I just sort of fell into it and started crying I said it was an overwhelming experience it was the best day of my life and he said eh, well I'm glad you said that he said because when I watched you singing that song and watched your passion at the end of the song and stuff he said I cried he said I cried myself I was reduced to tears you don't understand what what you've done there and I, I said I turned around to him and said no you don't understand what you've done there and he said no you don't understand it was like <laughs> in a bit of a back and forward and like he gave me like a high five a hug and and just just to spend the night with, with them and you know a couple of hours in a bar sort of and actually an, an American Liverpool fan stumbled into the bar that night and it was just a normal bar. It was amazing to see, to see him as well. Like, yeah, he didn't actually bother Jürgen too much either. It was like, yeah, he was just like so happy that he met him. And he got, I think he got a quick picture with him and said a few words to him. And then he just sort of come over and was talking to, he was talking to the guys who worked there behind the scenes and he was asking them about their job. And he was just, he, he had a great time. And so did I. It was definitely one of the best moments of, of any of the tours, obviously being able to share a beer with the, the man himself and, Every time I've seen him since, he's always extended a warm welcome to me. And That's an incredible experience that you got to share with him. And I think something that Tyler and I have been talking about, well, I think first of which, the amount of intensity and passion with, that you have for Liverpool certainly shows within your music. That's probably one of the huge reasons that it resonates with so many people. And something that we talk about in general, and one reason why Tyler was drawn to the sport of soccer to begin with is that like the chants and the supporters all have their own musical fandom essentially around the sport. And that entire culture, and it's kind of something that you mentioned before about when you first came to the United States to play, the American fans don't really have that. It's like in any other popularized American sport, that idea of music, that idea of chanting, that doesn't really exist. Why do you think that songs about like teams and players isn't really as big of a thing in America? I can't. I can only put it down to to what's gone before. Really, you know, I think it's sort of music was instilled in football a long time ago. It might just be that. It might just be more of a cringe me to say British, but a British thing. Um, for for Liverpool fans, put music into English ball. I think it's also down to the the sort of working class cultures that were surrounding football at the time. Football. Football was a game for people who work six days a week 
on the sixth day, he had took a half day off every Saturday, and he go and watch the football, and you get together with the mates, and the, I think it's Liverpool fans started off singing songs by the Beatles on the cop. Music was such a big part of culture at the time. I think it's just something that the people over here just took to the sport with them and found a believable way of coming together. For, for, for one reason and Liverpool and Manchester United have always paved the way with football songs and, and having a real sort of fan culture in England um, you know like a, a deep-rooted sort of passionate fan base kills me to say that about Manchester United as well but you know <laughs> I've got to give credit where it's due in this game they have got a great set of, of hardcore fans that stem the roots of the city years and years ago and I think that's what's Years and years have gone like the the EI had the old sort of phase bringing nursery rams into football songs back in the sixties. That was Liverpool FC, and then obviously I think it's also what doesn't happen in the US is that you don't travel around to different sort of continents, or you know you you stay within America because it's such a large space. Whereas in Europe, and it's also in Europe, it's not just in England, it's in Europe where songs because like and South America and stuff like that. But I think because those countries are smaller. And they travel amongst other countries. They pick up bits of culture along the way. And they take that with them into the football. Like a lot of Liverpool songs, even from years ago, have been adapted from when we've played French teams. We played against Saint-Étienne in 1997. They, used, they played in green and they used to say, Allez les Verts. And that was like, you know, come on the greens, basically. And Liverpool fans adopted that. And in English games, started to sing Allez le Rouge. And this is obviously... Up, you know, up the red sort of thing, and yeah, that's that's where the songs have come. Yeah, it's just so interesting because you know you'll have a song for like Virgil Van Dyke, and you can speak to like exactly how they're playing on the field, and then if you compare it to like an American athlete of such stature, like a LeBron James, you don't have any songs about him. You know, it's just an interesting disconnect. It is strange, I suppose, and I've never really looked at it like that to be honest, because. Well, to be honest, my only sport is really football. Yeah, it's 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 me. It's my only sport. Um, I, I will say this. I think it's when I went and visited Liverpool in March. I think the thing I didn't really appreciate until I got there was that blend between fandom for the club and just the you know the musical influence of the city. Uh, you know, getting to go to the Cavern Club and you know things like that, and just understanding that whole scale of everything was really cool. So obviously, I imagine you know that along with the success of the club. You know, it's really given you a platform to promote your own original music. And obviously, you know, we're really excited to hear this upcoming album. What can you tell us about the upcoming project? And, you know, like, what was the inspiration behind it? The inspiration behind it was pretty much just like telling my story and the story of, of people who've sort of moved in my circles and, and grew up in my environment. And also the joys and the escapes of, of, of everyday working class life. I think it sort of it questions like, you know, are we sort of doing it the right way, I suppose? Bob Dylan's my biggest sort of influence in music, if that's anything to go by. Not so much the sound, but more what he's got to say and, and the fact that he tells the truth. In in parts of the album, there's a lot of things that I think are wrong in the world and a lot of things that I think we could all do better with. But in particular, the people who sort of rule over us could do a lot better with. So there's, there's questions of that. There's also... There's a song, Grinding the Gears, which is one I've obviously released. It's about sort of when you're going through a bad time in life, never give up and, and always sort of keep breaking on through to the other side and keep grinding those gears because you'll get there in the end. And then other parts of it are just like, you know what, you're here for a, you're here for a good time, not so much of a long time. Don't, don't, let, don't let it get you down if, if, if you're not in a good place. And there's also songs about, you know, 
how good it is to feel on top and how good it is to reach your goals and, and live a good life. Do you know what I mean? And it really is just, it's just me and open and honest, a few chords and a truth, like I like to say, in my eyes. And yeah, I just hope people like it. You know, I'm, Oh, I was listening to it. I was listening to it the day after Liverpool won the league, just all day. It just really put me in a good mood. Yeah, well, I didn't. I wanted to surprise everyone at the right time. I wanted it to be free online to stream. I didn't want it to be. We worked together to to do it right, and you know, thankfully, all the fans have been enjoying it. I'm glad you've enjoyed the Tyler. Um, I don't know what football team you follow, Nate, but um, you, you don't want the answer to that because it's going to break un- your heart. It's unfortunately Tottenham. <laughs> Tottenham, ah, oh, well, do you know what? It'll probably break your heart more than mine at the moment. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not upset about that. All I can say is Tottenham are a, you know, a good club with a, with a good manager, and I can see he's doing well next year. So I think this Christ. is a transition period. I think it's a transition period for, for you guys, but I think you know the players that you've got at the club, you won't be where you are for long once, once everything gets back to normal. Jamie, that's way nicer than I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I, I compared to some of the other teams in the league who were up there, Tottenham aren't exactly my enemy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, I, I hate Everton, Manchester United, <laughs> Chelsea. Like uh, they, they, they're like me three, obviously, and then Man City. What were we actually talking about before that? I don't know, <laughs> on a the Bar CP. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was it was a great way for the fans to to sort of get their slice of of the Liverpool side of me as well and. Uh, yeah, the, the album, um, I can't wait for everyone to hear. The, the next two singles are big, big singles. I think they're going to go down unbelievably well. It's going to be the next one's called This Place. It's out on the 10th of July. And, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe even a US tour with my own music, never know. But this is, it's an exciting time for me. And, um, and as for Liverpool, yeah, I'm still looking forward to seeing the lads lift the trophy. I'm still looking forward to. Maybe a few new Liverpool songs coming coming to fruition through through all this. Who knows? But, Love to hear um, that. Yeah, I mean, you need to be. The problem is with that. I always think Liverpool songs are best made when there's a group of people in a moment. Yep. Sort of riding riding a wave. I think when when you come to writing Liverpool songs in your bedroom, I just don't think they're as authentic as as Fair. any of the yeah. other songs that are out there. So for me, I I need to get back in a room full of people uh, yeah. for that league title song to come. I'm sure it'll come. I'm sure there'll be plenty of videos of me playing these songs. You know, I'm already in talks potentially to come back to the US next year. Not actually with the club at the minute, but these things could change. But, you know, on my own, I'm sure okay. I'll be back in, in the US in the next next year. Well, hey, uh, if, um, you're in, if you're in Chicago, uh, drinks are definitely going to be on us and we'll be there. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Um, can't wait to see what the future brings and hopefully we all stay safe in the meantime and just keep moving forward towards it yeah it's what people need especially right now is like the music and the love and you know you got a high of the championship to ride off of right now and talking a little bit about the different pubs um, is a good transition to a question that we actually ask all of our guests uh, we like to do a pub of the week every week you know give a shout out to a local pub somewhere go good place to watch the game you know if you know any in the united states that'd be great but you know if you got one specialty heart back home you can definitely share that too Carragher's bar you know i've, I've met a few of the staff there in new york I've, I've been welcomed there a lot of times well every time i've been to new york you've made me welcome and even when family have visited new york they've they've made the fuss for them and and really you know extended the welcome to them so yeah i suppose Carragher's bar for brian and, and, um, and michael who were the guys who run that place 
Uh, but definitely in Liverpool, I'd like to shout out to the halfway house and hotel tier. Um, two places very, very close to my heart. Very, very close to Liverpool Football Club. Very, very close to Anfield. Yeah, I played there every home game. You know, I'm missing those places so much. Uh, I miss seeing all the fans there every week. I like Total City. It tends to be the place where all the fans who spending the first and second times in Anfield tend to come. Cause it's a lot more easy to get to, and a lot more there's a lot more space. And you know, the the, the sort it's before the game, and the halfway house is where all my lunatics, scouts, friends go after the game. <laughs> and, um, that's a di- different atmosphere in itself um, and, you know, some of the best nights I've ever had following Liverpool Football Club have been in that pub. A long time before I was, you know, talking to anyone in America, I played in that pub for years and years and years. The locals who drink in there are just unbelievable people. Uh, just, it's, it's, it's a place very, very close to my heart. Um, memory-wise, and the owners of Hotel Tier are a very, very good friend of mine. You know, they, they give me an awful lot of work and, it's an unbelievable family sort of run with unbelievable facilities. But the halfway house is, is just a, a, basically a lunatic asylum, basically. <laughs> and, uh, it's, Love it. it's, it's great. And I miss it. Like, I miss it more than anything. I've actually got a call down here because I've left my speakers in there. And I'm just <laughs> looking, back, looking forward to just smelling the stale smoking and, and the stale beer. It's just like, it's a proper pub. And yeah, so if anyone's in Liverpool or... If you're ever in Liverpool every now and again, you know, find the halfway house. It's not that easy to find. It's not, it's not as close to Anfield as the other pubs. Um, but it's definitely, if you get yourself in there and you stand at the back of the room and look at what goes on in there, it's, it's definitely a sight to be old and an atmosphere to be old. So. Fantastic. I appreciate it so much. We're all craving a sense of normalcy and, you know, having that environment come back. And we'll get there eventually as long as we're all staying safe and doing our part. As Jamie Webster, again, his new album, We Get By, coming out August 21st. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jamie. No, thanks very much, Nate. Thanks very much, Tyler. Uh, thanks one for having me on. And that was Jamie Webster. It was so fun talking to Jamie. I can only imagine how happy he still is with Liverpool uh, having a title after being one of their biggest vocal supporters and bringing the culture throughout the entire world through his music. Thanks again so much, Jamie. And again, if you ever find your way into Chicago, uh, us here at the FTFC, we owe you a pint and we'll gladly buy you one. Um, So with that being said, Kits are being dropped left and right right now, and I love this. We've talked a little bit about this before, about the ever-changing cycle of New Jersey's in football. And I wanted to highlight three of my favorite kits that have uh, dropped recently so far. Uh, the first one that I think is worth mentioning, and this is going to be a huge surprise to everyone out there, but one of my favorites right now is the Away Arsenal kit for next season. Have you seen this, Tyler? You're talking up Arsenal. This might be a first in the time I've known you. It, it is the darkest timeline, truly. The <laughs> And anything is possible in 2020. So let me give you a little bit of a visualized breakdown. We'll post this on our social media as well, just so you can see this. Adidas collaboration, uh, same sponsors as they normally have. Emirates fly better. It's a white away jersey 
However, it resembles a bit of a a granite granite countertop. I don't know. Maybe it's just the future homeowner. Like I'm really enjoying watching a little too much HGTV right now, and seeing a sexy kitchen really like gets me excited. But whenever I look at this jersey, I just like want to make one of the best meals of my life on top of it. I just think it's so clean. All white, got those just stone, natural stone looking with the iconic Adidas three stripes on the shoulders. I just think it's such a clean jersey. Yeah, it's basically just, you know, white with, you know, those sprinkles of pink granite. The texture of it, I think, makes it stand out more than anything. Uh, Great job by whoever designed this. It's simple, uh, but at the same time, it really fits with their branding and color scheme. So big fan of it. And to continue this blasphemy coming out of my mouth, I'm going to say my second favorite jersey that's come out recently is Chelsea's new home kit. What is going on, man? You're giving love to all the other (laughs) London teams all of a sudden. I could not agree more with the Chelsea ones, man. And when I first saw it, I was a little confused by the big three, the middle of the front, uh, until I realized that was their sponsor. Uh, But man, like it's... You didn't have to do too much with it, but they just you know, they knocked it out of the park here. I think the reason why I like this so much, too, is because I'm such a vocal... Um, I'm so vocal of how much I dislike their current home jerseys. I've said it before. It looks like a, a, a bus seat on a public bus. <laughs> and this is just a throwback to a more iconic, clean Chelsea look. That, that normal coloring is so good. It's just a pure blue jersey with black trim around the collar as well as the sleeves. I just think it looks so good. It's just a, you know, a nice tight slim fitting uh Nike is the one who's who made this and the 3 on this is their um I believe it's it's a telecommunications company. So that's what that 3 is in reference to. So I I don't know if you'd be a little confused to see two numbers on a player, but I just think it looks so good. Like I I'm a big fan of like that that the white logo of the 3 and then the black trim on that blue. I'll I'll just say this real quick before we get to the next one. As far as from a marketing and branding perspective, I don't think they could have timed this better. I mean, with the incoming players and Timo Werner especially, you know, you got a young manager that's also a legend there at Frank Lampard. You've got Pulisic, you got Tammy Abraham, you got Mason Mount. Like the future is so bright at Chelsea, and then to have like a really sharp new kit to go along with it, like could not have done better. Props to them. And last, we're gonna hop over to La Liga. It's worth mentioning the Nike Barcelona kit. Um, I, I know there's a little bit of mixed feelings of this uh, kit because it's just a little goofy sometimes. There's really not much you can do about Barcelona. They either just do a stripe color combination uh, like this current Nike one, or they do more of a checks or a squares like the current ones that they have now. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to talk about this is it's a, they're throwing back to their regular stripe, and then they also have the yellow trim around the collar. However... There was a little bit of problems. Nike had to recall this jersey. I kind of find it to be a little embarrassing because the reason why they had to recall the, these was due to the the colors fading whenever they are wet. And they found this out the hard way by players sweating in these jerseys. And then all of a sudden, the Barcelona colors were not as proud and bright on them. So did the colors were, the colors bleed onto the players? Like when they took the kits off, did they just have these vertical lines of red and blue on their on their chests? I don't know. That's a good question. But um, what, what I do know is they were actually supposed to debut during uh, their derby match against uh, Espanyol. 
Uh, however, that they had to push that back, and I don't think they have a official debut date uh, for these new jerseys yet. But I do think they're going to be a nice, clean, crisp look. But it's kind of funny that they're bleeding whenever they sweat. Yeah, as far as professional sports apparel, having it be ruined when you're sweating is not ideal. Last but not least, moving on to Around the Net. We didn't spend too much time on the web this weekend, obviously, just enjoying some time outside, 4th of July weekend. Uh, The one big thing we did want to talk about, though, uh, especially me, there's some transfer rumors regarding uh, Tiago Alcantara from Bayern Munich. A lot of rumors all of a sudden swirling around him potentially going to Liverpool. We talked a little bit with Bundesliga Borelli about this. He's a big fan of the guy. I know he's 29, uh, but just looks like another potential addition to the midfield for the Reds. I, I, I just, I've got some questions about what this means for some of the midfielders already on the squad. You see some rotation in there, but it feels pretty crowded at this point. Um, I know there. It feels like maybe this could mean that someone else is on their way out. It could be Genie Wijnaldum. There have been some rumors about him in the past. Another potential option, as much as it hurts to say, could be Jordan Henderson, who's the captain. So I don't know what ends up happening with that. All I know is that even at you know, 28, 29, Alcantara is a really creative player, uh, brings a lot of juice when he has the ball. I'm excited. I'm excited to see. Hopefully uh, they can find a way to mesh him in with everyone else. They don't have to get rid of anyone. Uh, but obviously, you know, midfield is a point of emphasis this offseason trying to you know, get some more talent. Uh, so excited to see what he can do. Uh, again, assuming that he comes over. Okay, and with that, we're going to go over to our favorite and final segment of this week. It is the Pub of the Week. Pub of the Week. And thanks so much again, Jamie, for giving us a couple of good recommendations. I know he mentioned a few uh, bars up in Liverpool. If you ever find yourself there, definitely check those out. But our Pub of the Week is going to be Carragher's Pub over in New York City. It's located at 228 West 39th Street in New York, New York. If you ever find yourself up in New York, that's another great option that Jamie Webster and the FTFC has given you. Any opportunity to shout out a bar named after Jamie Carragher, uh, I'm going to do that. So, you know, definitely check that out if you're in New York City uh, once it reopens. Yeah, it's uh, within walking distance to Times Square. So if you ever find yourself trying to be a super tourist in New York, that's a good place that you could just grab a pint. Awesome. Well, Nate, do you got anything else for uh, this week's episode? All that I got is thanks again for listening to the First Touch podcast. You know, be a member of the FTFC. Make sure to subscribe. Leave us a great review. Keep uh, sending us some shout outs of pubs. And uh, with that, we will end you as we always do with There is No Room for Racism. 